This is a Founding Media Podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by our friends, Traverse Legal. They were super helpful as we started Founding Media and the Podcast Network. Traverse Legal has been changing the way law is practiced since its own founding in 2004, with a focus on utilizing technology to better deliver IP and business law services to founders, startups, and emerging growth companies. Traverse Legal's latest offering, Traverse GC, provides a monthly fixed fee, fractional general counsel offering to companies. Learn more by visiting TraverseLegal.com. Welcome to another episode of Packing Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Axel Brave, and this is a Texas-sized show about anything and everything that deals with food and beverage. On this week's episode, we're talking with Kyle Kaler, co-founder of Wildway, a San Antonio-based company. They mainly focus on better-for-you foods like granola and breakfast cereals. We chatted about the fire in his belly and how he got this started, Kyle finding his entrepreneurial spirit and leaving his old job, to successes and failures in his food manufacturing company. And we ended up chatting a little bit about how he finds the balance between work and play. Let's jump right in. Um, Thank you for coming on the show, Kyle. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get started into all the fun and nitty gritty of Wild Way and producing and manufacturing, I kind of want to hear a little bit from you regarding where you're from, you know, how'd you end up in San Antonio? What do you like doing? Because I think you have a, a an interesting lifestyle of adventuring. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's see. Uh, I grew up originally in LaGrange. So it's a little small town uh, kind of in between here and Houston. Uh, went to went to school at Texas A&M in College Station. It's where I met my wife and co-founder Kelly. Um, we I moved to Austin initially. Uh, started in accounting out of school. Uh, that was a fun. That's a fun profession. Um, and eventually moved uh, up to New York City to do that. Uh, Kelly and I both lived in New York City for a few years. She's in advertising, and I was in accounting. So lived in New York City. Um, really. Corporate grind, um, and there especially, it's a grind. Uh, there was probably uh, uh, six months out of the year times where I, I didn't see the sunrise. It was it was uh, windowless conference rooms and and uh, a lot of spreadsheets. So that's 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 kind of where we got our start outside of school, and then realized that it, it wasn't really it wasn't really the kind of life that we wanted to live at all. Um, we, we, um, we just didn't enjoy it. We both had the entrepreneurial bug, uh, both lived very healthy, active lifestyles and wanted our jobs and our careers to reflect that. So we ended up moving back to San Antonio. It's where Kelly's family was from. Uh, and I have, have, uh, some family close by as well and moved back to San Antonio and quit our jobs on a whim and, and, uh, just decided to go for it. Um, and, uh, we, I, I kind of got an interim job in the, in the meantime, I, I worked as a personal trainer for a little while. So did that on kind of burnt both ends of the candle on that and, and ran the business in the meantime for a couple of years before we decided to go full time with the business, but moved back to San Antonio and, uh, you know, one thing start, led to another and, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, uh, I, I love hearing that kind of story of I'm doing this job kind of dim dim lights um it's kind of repetitive and the bug gets you that entrepreneurial spirit yeah. so 
I guess it's around 2012 where you and Kelly are like, we feel awesome. We know everything about granola. Let's start manufacturing this, right? Um, let's move to San Antonio. Is that kind of how it went or how, if you can describe yeah. that experience, how, how did that like, I don't want to say no. darkness, but how, how did that push you to like, hey, we need to. We should do something different. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we, we didn't know anything about the food uh, world or food manufacturing or anything. Uh, we had this product that we made for ourselves for a while. Um, we didn't even call it a granola. It was just like a mix of nuts and seeds that we just snacked on that was really clean and really healthy. We took a lot of things out of our diet. We took sweeteners out, oils out, uh, grains out, and a lot of things. And, and this was one of the things that we could have that kind of hit the sweet tooth for us. And was it – I read something about – you guys trying to make it into a bar? Yeah, initially the uh, the plan was to make a bar initially way back in the day, but we we didn't want to use any brown rice syrup or tapioca. Um, didn't want it to be too sweet, so didn't want it to be overly filled with dates, um, and couldn't get it to stick together. I uh, just tried and it was a complete failure, and we're like, well, that you know, cool, nice try, let's move on. Um, so, so the bar thing didn't really work. Uh, it was kind of a failure, but we ended up with this kind of mixture that was just kind of loose. Uh, that kind of ate like a granola. It was kind of like a granola. Uh, and it initially we, were, we didn't want to call it granola. We didn't know what to call it. Uh, we had kind of a choice to make of, okay, we could call this something that people know how to eat and know how to eat it. Um, and that was granola, or we can try to come up with a different name for it uh, and then have to edu- educate the consumer as far as what it is, how they can eat it and what it's similar to. So we decided to go with the granola route to take away you know, that educational piece of it so people knew how they could eat it and what, what they could use it for. And, and were, were you guys doing this at your home, making this? Uh, uh, initially, yeah. Initially, we made it, just made it in our kitchen, in our home kitchen. Uh, Texas has the cottage law, which allows you to go to farmer's markets with stuff made in your home kitchen as long as you put a disclaimer um, on the package. So we started at farmer's markets in San Antonio. It was just this. We called it a granola. It wasn't even a grain-free granola or anything at the time. We just called it a granola. Yeah, it was, But um, it had the soft, chewy texture. It had texture. the soft, chewy texture. Tex- Texture, yep, yep, the soft, chewy texture. Um, the initial thing that we went to farmer's markets with was our banana nut flavor, except at the time it was made with uh, – we had peanuts in it. Uh, instead, we don't use any peanuts now um, because of the allergen, but at the time it had peanuts in it, and that was our initial product that we took to farmer's markets. Um, first one, I don't know, I think we made maybe a couple hundred bags or so in our home kitchen and sold out in like 30 minutes at the farmer's market. Um, and went, okay, well, I think maybe we have something here. I don't know. Let's see what we can do. Um, and then one thing led to another, and we didn't really know what we were getting into, never really did. Uh, the plan was never to manufacture ourselves in-house. That was never the plan. Um, but one thing kind of led to another, and and that's kind of how it ended up. <laughs> yeah. And so so when you guys are, are making this stuff at your house, was there like – did you guys feel this need to be different than another granola or like try to take out ingredients or were you guys just like this stuff tastes really good to us and we think we could share it with with Texas? Yeah, I mean the biggest thing for us is that we wanted to be made with just 100% real food ingredients. We didn't want to have to add any sweeteners. We didn't, didn't want to have to add any extracts. We didn't want to, didn't want to have to add anything that we didn't think should, shouldn't be in there but wanted it to still – not compromise on taste. That was that was the biggest thing that we wanted. We wanted it to be super clean, super healthy, and then someone to try it and not feel like they were having to compromise. We felt like the cleaner that we took our diet, the more we felt like we had to compromise on flavor and on taste where things just started tasting more like the box that they came in or the package they came in rather than something that actually was edible. And so that was the biggest thing for us going into is we wanted to not be able to sacrifice taste and texture for health. Yeah. And did yeah. you think other other brands were so focused on just – producing large scale and they'd put whatever uh, ingredients they need to put in there to 
stay to keep it fresh for the longest time. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it's cost, right? So using no preservatives um, and everything, you know, everything nut and seed based, and using all real food, it, it it costs a lot more. So the fact that we use a real, actual vanilla bean instead of an extract, um, it's a lot more expensive than what an extract would be. Um, but the taste is completely different, um, and it's the actual real vanilla bean rather than an extractive of something. So that's that's kind of one one area where we know it's going to cost more, but it's going to taste better and it's going to be higher quality at the same time. Um, and it affects the manufacturing as well. It's got a shorter shelf life. We have to be conscious of how we store the ingredients and how we make it because there aren't any preservatives. There's no um, natural vitamin E. There's no citric acid, nothing in there that's really preserving it at all. Uh, so that's something that we have to be be consciously cautious of. What, how long is the shelf life? So the shelf life on most of them is a year, except for one of the one of the SKUs, the coconut SKU, seven months. Okay. Uh, and really, it's it's not a matter of mold or anything. It's just a matter of, of the product going rancid or not tasting yeah. really as fresh as yeah. it should. Um, so we, we found ways to kind of use natural natural things that are, that are natural antioxidants that can prevent that from happening. Uh, there's a lot of things out there that you can use. A cinnamon is really one of them. You can look up cinnamon as a natural antioxidant, so it'll prevent some of the nuts from from going rancid uh, quicker. So you know you find things like that and, and formulate based on those uh, to keep the product as natural as possible to to still be shelf stable. Yeah, and you, I guess for the listeners and the viewers, you keep dropping the word natural, which we all hear, but that's people are starting to eat more natural, mm-hmm. which means um, food items that are made with real ingredients that people use at home. It's not this corn syrup or or these preservatives and additives, because um, no one puts preservatives in their in their food like powder preservatives um, in their food at home. So people are feeling this whole natural vibe nowadays, and that's kind of something you wanted to stick with from the start. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and 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 it's it, there's definitely been some restrictions to that as well. I mean, we've really we we were really adamant that we're never going to use any sweeteners, um, that we're never going to use any any oils or extracts at all in our products, and we're going to keep it all 100% real food. Um, so there's definitely some restrictions to that and what we can use um, and and what we refuse to use, but we, we really want to stand by that 100% real foods. And and you're right, people are eating a lot cleaner nowadays. You know, back when we started in 2012, 2013, you know. These things like paleo and and these other things, grain free, was still just very, 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 very incredibly niche and not something that people had heard of. Yeah, you know, we'd say these things at, at farmers markets, and people would go, "What are you gluten free? What are you talking so, about? <laughs> paleo? What, what is that? What are you talking about?" And 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 you know, what do you mean? Why didn't why why is this why is this grain free? Why aren't there aren't any grains in this? And now you know, there's there's probably a dozen different grain free granolas out there, and there's grain free versions of lots of different products out there now. But so yeah, I think especially. Especially in Austin, where all these new terms for natural and paleo and vegan and all that stuff, and and it's brands are starting to be a lot more considerate of of what they're doing to their products. So, um, I guess so. You, you have this you have this wonderful product. Um, you guys are making it at home, husband wife team going to farmers markets, knocking it out, selling hundreds of bags. And you guys are realizing, like, wow, I think I think we have a product that speaks to the consumers. I think we have something new, finding your niche in the granola category. Um, when did you guys start realizing that, hey, this is this can be real? Um, granola could be a little competitive. Uh, how do we squeeze in there? How do we take this product that is killing it at farmers markets and putting it on every shelf? Yeah, I mean, it was, 
it's it's really just step by step. I mean, it's 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 all really just a learning process. I mean, I think when we realized it could actually be something that could be successful was was probably in those early farmers market days. I mean, San Antonio is not known as the healthiest place in the world. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stats on that. You know, it's 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 Tex Tex Mex and it's queso down there. You know, so it's not known as which the healthiest is good. place. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. So <laughs> I I think the fact that we were taking this natural product and and selling out at farmers markets to us was a sign that man, if we can do this in a in a city that's not really known for being super healthy, like like Austin is more known for, then I, I think we we have a shot at, at taking this and being really successful. Um, so, so I think that's kind of the first thing that got us that hint, um, and then and then we kind of kind of got our first couple retailers under our belt and got a little bit of momentum, and then just kind of started building from there. And, and was that a clear feeling that you guys got when you did sell those hundred bags? Like, hey, I think we have something that can be big. Um, I don't know if it's a clear feeling, more of it just gives you a little bit of confidence. It gives you the confidence to kind of take the next step, um, and pitch it to somebody and kind of take the next, kind of take the next progression, if you will. It just kind of gives you, gives you, gives you enough confidence to do that. And I think that's important when you're, when you're a incredibly small business just starting out is to getting that initial confidence. Every, every sale, every yes gets you, there's going to be a lot of no's along the way, but getting kind of those initial yeses and that initial buy-in from consumers, um, and getting that feedback, you know, face-to-face, uh, initial feedback is, is incredibly important. It gives you, it gives you some validation for sure. Yeah, I think like you're saying, those small wins kind of add yeah. up, make you feel yeah. good, make you like remember why you're doing this and that your product is good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So kind of switching gears, you guys are now nationwide, um, lots of distribution, I'm over a thousand doors, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, big name stores, Whole Foods, HEBs, um, what are some other ones? Uh, Wegmans up in the Northeast, a big one. Uh, Kroger's here in Texas, Sprouts as well. So pretty much all your convention, uh, a lot of conventional and a lot of natural stores throughout the country. Um, but shifting gears a little bit and uh, seeing how you guys got supported within Texas, you guys have a pretty cool track record into getting accepted into accelerators and incubators. Um, yeah. Some might say you guys have a talent for that because uh, <laughs> I saw you guys were accepted into SKU ATX, which is an incubator or an accelerator here in Austin. You guys were then accepted into uh, Chobani's incubator, which is probably the most loved incubator by any <laughs> food entrepreneur in the in the States. And then recently got it accepted into the PepsiCo incubator, which sounds very mysterious <laughs> and Lots of, I feel like lots of things can come out of that one. Not yeah. saying that not out of the other ones, but um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that network, uh, you can start with SKU at least, like how did that network help you guys? What's Was it natural for you to be like, hey, uh, Kelly, I think we should go chat with some mentors, other CPG leaders and, and get some insight from them to see how we can scale this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going into this, this industry, like I said, we had no knowledge of, of the food world or manufacturing or, or natural food at all. And so for us, it's been a constant learning process and, and a constant process of getting more and more knowledge. Um, and we're, we're big fans of, of that. You're really, I mean, you're only as smart as the people you surround yourself with. And so we've always really wanted to surround ourselves with the smartest people in the industry and the brightest people in the industry. And that's been kind of the impetus behind, you know, going into all these accelerators and incubators is really just 
not only to broaden our network, um, but to, to get more and more mentors out of it and more and more knowledge out of it. And that's that's definitely what SKU provided us for sure was, was, was a lot of mentors and it really plugged us into the Austin food scene. There's not really a natural food scene in San Antonio uh, like there is here in Austin, a C- big CPG scene here in Austin. So it really plugged us into the mentor network here and, and then the food scene here. Um, and we've made you know countless friends with, with other companies, with other mentors here that have been instrumental in the growth of our business. Because they, at the end of the day, you know, all of us are going through the same problems or have gone, gone through a lot of the same problems. Yeah. So have people that you can connect to um, and can really, um, you know, use as mentors as you grow is, is, is going to be instrumental, instrumentally valuable because there's a highly likely percentage that they've gone through some of the same problems that you are facing now and can help you through those. So that's what we, we found that incredibly useful here in, in both the Austin community and, and in the communities and, and mentorships that we've built through the Chibani Incubator and through the Pepsi Nutrition Greenhouse program as well. That's awesome. Um, and is there are there other specific networks or helpful tips for us uh, or for Texas food brands that you can uh, share? Because I, I know, to me, like working in Texas, like you're saying, I feel like the community here is very helpful when it comes to uh, food entrepreneurs. Everybody knows somebody that could help you, and everyone's mm-hmm. trying to connect you with one another. And I always attribute that to uh, the Southern hospitality. Yeah. Um, but what what kind of uh, other opportunities or networks or like kindness have you seen in people as you as you've uh, started growing this? Yeah, I mean it, the the food network in general, even around the country, is is relatively very very small. Um, a lot of people know a lot of people and can connect you to a lot of people. I'd say especially that's especially true here in Austin. Um, it's it's a relatively small world, and you'll meet somebody who can give you a connection to somebody, can give you a connection to somebody, and and your network can just grow very easily. Uh, so my best advice there is really just work hard to really build your network um, and work hard to to get those connections and ask other people for their connections. That would be helpful. You know, identify areas of your business where you want help um, and meet with somebody and say, hey, you know, and be open with your problems. You know, we're, we're very open with the struggles that we've had and the problems that we've had. And, you know, we've had a lot of them, made a lot of mistakes. And I feel like it's it's it can be hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to admit where they have problems and admit where they need help. But that's where you're gonna. That's where you're going to to get that mentorship and get the help that you need by being open and saying, "Hey, here's an area of my business that I know needs help. I know it's a problem. You know, can it, can you help me with this? And if not, do you know somebody who has experience in this that that you can connect me with? And and it's more likely than than not they're gonna know somebody that has experience there that they can connect you with. And then you can, you know, go to that person to help solve your problems and get them connected to someone else that can solve <laughs> something else and and kind of go from there. So you you have to be open with with the issues and the problems that you're having and and because there's it's like that somebody knows somebody that, that can help you with those problems along the yeah. way. So and and I think it must also feel good to have um someone internally like Kelly where you can be like, I have this issue. You can bounce it off her because you know she's on your team. Yeah. Yeah. And uh like obviously there's so much help out there, but being able to internalize and kind of chat with someone on your own team at the same level, that must be helpful. Yeah, right? it's it's incredibly helpful. Yeah. I I you know, working with uh, your spouse has its own unique set of challenges, mm-hmm. um, of course. But but I I wouldn't have it any other way, and I almost don't see how some people do it otherwise. I mean, <laughs> we we always have a rule that we can't we can't go to bed angry, right? So so you get hit in the face a lot as an entrepreneur, you know, and you deal with a lot of problems, and it's very high stress. But at the end of the day. For us, it has to. We have to take care of it. You know, everything has. It has to be okay. Um, we have to work it out. You know, whereas if you just have a, a co-founder who's a friend or an acquaintance, and you kind of go your separate ways at the end of the day, that maybe that's not the case, and there might be some things that kind of fester or can kind of get in the way of growing your business. Um, but for us, you know, we we have a very st- 
strong marriage and a very strong, you know, founding partnership. And that really, really helps get through a lot of the struggles that we have because we, we don't really have a choice. We have yeah. To, we have to. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, okay. And can you tell us a little bit? So, you know, getting into going from farmer's markets to being accepted to these pretty kick-ass uh, incubators and accelerators, I'm certain you had pretty big orders in between some of those accelerators, but can you can you tell us a little bit about receiving that first like uh, green light from a big retailer, d- like doing a bigger order than you've ever done? How did how did that go through in your mind? Was it exciting, nerve wracking? Like you had to put out fires before you can start moving forward? Yeah, um, all of the above, really. I mean, our first retailer was uh, was the Southwest Region of Whole Foods. So to pitch them, I I really just I walked into their local office here with a with our you know little sad brown bag with a sticker on it of granola <laughs> and said I'm here to see the local buyer and and that's how we initially pitched it I just kind of showed up uh, got no appointment a, no appointment or anything no 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 appointment or anything I just left product with them and and got an email a couple of days later and and set up a meeting with the local buyer and then six months later uh, the buyer said hey you're 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 good to sell in all the whole foods in the southwest but we're not going to take you in on the reset was when they shut the shelves. She said, all the stores have the ability to buy you, but it's going to be your job to get on the shelves in those stores, which is kind of a unique scenario. So uh, Kelly and I went on kind of a Texas road trip to every single Whole Foods in the state and had to pitch our product to each individual store buyer as to why it would be a good fit for their set and why they wanted our product. And and that's and, uh, that's 43 stores, right? Yeah, it's a lot of stores. Yeah, it's a lot of stores and a lot of travel. So Houston, Dallas, Austin. Um, yeah, it's a lot of travel, a lot of stores, and a lot a lot to keep up with. Um, what, what did you tell these these store buyers? Because I'm used to dealing with obviously the the regional buyer, but that's kind of a, a weird situation where they're like, yeah. we've accepted you into Whole Foods. Now go to the stores and pitch this again. Yeah, I, I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't, I don't know how that's done now, um, but that's how it was in our particular case. And it was it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, we just we said, hey, we're local. We're a local product. Uh, we have distribution through a small distributor here. Here's how we're different than what you have currently on the shelf. Um, this is grain free. Again, at that time, there were no other you know paleo or grain free style granolas. We were the first one that they were kind of seeing. On, on the shelf. So that was what was unique about it. And uh, it made a strong case for why they wanted us and say, hey, we'll support it. And we did. We went into, we, we've, we've went into the stores and demoed it like crazy. Um, so it's offering that support uh, is, is incredibly important as well. Um, but it, it's challenging because every, not, not every buyer was, or not every, every individual store buyer was willing at first to put it in. Uh, you know, they have a million things that they're dealing with. Why listen to this, you know, small little upstart granola company that I've never heard of before and why do I want this product? Um, but at the end of the day, if it sells well and you support it and you can get it off their shelf, they're going to be happy with it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I imagine when you, <laughs> <laughs> and then after you got the Whole Foods client, everything was done and you guys just, uh, ended everything, right? Yeah, everything was good yeah. to go. No, we no. were, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we still made, we still made the products in the commissary kitchen at the time. So okay. there's a commissary kitchen, it's like a shared kitchen space down in San Antonio and kind of the, the, the bad part of San Antonio, I would say, not the part you want to spend your nights in. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a commissary kitchen there. And it was booked through the entire day. So we had to go in pretty much from like 10 p.m. to like 1 a.m. to make product. Um, and while we're at the farmer's market, that that was fine. It was doable. And the minute we got kind of our first Whole Foods orders from those stores, 
Um, How know, many get, cases get was hairy. that? Do you remember? Oh, gosh, I don't even remember at this time. Pro- probably wasn't very many, but it was a lot to us at the time. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a lot to us at the time. Maybe uh, one maybe case a, maybe of a, each SKU. Yeah, maybe a case of each SKU per store. So, maybe, you know, a couple hundred cases or so, something along those lines. So, um, And it was just you and Kelly in the kitchen? It was just me and Kelly, yep, in the kitchen. So wow. we, and we'd, we'd be there from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. Um, most days just, just making product and, and getting it out. And and so it was a struggle. But, but you know, it, it at the end of the day, you just have to – We've always just been of the mindset of we just have to make it happen. You know, let's just land the deal and then we'll figure out how to make it happen. And we just figured out how to make it happen. And it was a grind for a while until we moved out of that space and into our, our own kind of small, scrappy manufacturing facility. But uh, yeah. we made it happen and then you kind of you kind of move on. Um, I think a lot of people get stuck in that initial phase of, of trying to figure out how to manufacture it. I need, do I need to co-manufacture? You know, how, how am I going to make this happen? Um, you know, but at the end of the day – if you got to do it yourself, and you got to yeah. you got to work from ten to to one to be able to do it, you know you you got to do it. So yeah, so um, you know it's funny because a lot of people, at least on the outside, look at us and it's like, okay, the hardest part of this is getting the Whole Foods account. You know, once you got yeah. that, you're set. And it's funny because you just described, yeah, I did that. I walked in, I got it, but now it's how do we manufacture this? Okay, let's yeah. just let's just do it how we always did throw them in bags, get that first order out, and then see how we can scale that, right? Because that was just y'all two back then. Now you guys have a pretty big team. Um, You have your own facility, I imagine. And you guys, like you said at the beginning, you guys do everything in-house, right? Yep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, getting on the shelf is probably the easiest part of, of the whole business is getting on the shelf. I mean, <laughs> anybody, blow everyone's mind. With yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's not the difficult part. You can, you know, you can, getting on the shelf is the easiest part. Um, it's 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 being able to, to it's manufacturing the product, but really more so getting it off the shelf and making sure that it sells um, is, is really uh, where you're going to find the value there. Um, anybody can get on the shelf anywhere, uh, but it's, it's making sure that the product sells and gets off the shelf. So. Yeah, I, I hear a lot that it's the first order... You shouldn't like celebrate so much on the first order more so on the second or third order once you're in the store demoing, yep. getting that repeat order yep. from those big clients. Yep. Yep. That's nah, true. I would say that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, you guys are in a bunch of stores now. It's I, I do want to bring this up because I just found out yesterday, but in 2017 – you guys had a voluntary recall because yeah. they found um, one of your suppliers had found listeria. Yeah. And yeah. and one of the ingredients that you guys used, that's yeah. pretty much every food manufacturer's nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell did you guys handle something like that? Yeah. And to what was scale was it? Who did you have to report that to? Yeah. That was a tough one. Um, yeah. So it was uh, – it was tough for sure. Um, that was definitely, uh, definitely completely heartbreaking. Yeah, I got a call to get a call from one of our suppliers saying, "Hey, we found they actually had, had found listeria somewhere in their plant, um, and it wasn't in any of the products that they sold us." Um, but they said, due to you know the the abundance of caution is the term that that everybody likes to use. Um, we're recalling everything that was made in this particular plant over the course of this you know two month period. And oh by the way, we sold you something that was made in that particular plant um, that was during that two month period. Um, so so yeah, we it was voluntary on our end. Um, it was a tough decision for us whether we we're going to actually go through with the recall or not. Um, but we decided it was in our best interest to do it. Um, and uh, so the yeah, FDA it was tough. the FDA 
FDA didn't call you. It wasn't a requirement on the FDA. No, it was a, it was voluntary. Uh, it was completely voluntary on our end. We made that choice um, to go ahead and do it um, ahead of time uh, just to be proactive with it. And we thought that that would be the best decision um, for us and for our customers and for our brand. Uh, and it was tough. I mean, a lot of a lot of retailers, you know, the the language that the FDA makes you use in the recall notice isn't 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 the the most consumer friendly language at all. Yeah. Um, you know, we went back and forth. We we luckily had recall insurance, uh, which which is something I recommend every food company get. If we didn't have that, I probably would not be talking to you today. We'd be out of business. Um, but we had recall insurance, which which kept us in business to say, and uh, and you know. You go back and forth with the FDA on what language to use, but they're very, very strict on what you can and cannot say in your recall notices. And it's it's not consumer friendly at all. It's not retail friendly at all. Retailers that got the notice, you know, thought there was something wrong with our plant and our products, and we had to go and say, no, no, it's not us. I promise. It's we're doing it voluntarily because of a supplier. And there's 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 a lot of damage control that you have to do, and and it really hurt the uh, you know regardless, it really hurt you know our brand equity and our brand uh, credibility. Um, but you know, we got through it, and uh, you kind of push on, and stuff like that's going to happen. Uh, it's, there's nothing we could have done to prevent that from happening at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. It's 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 a worst nightmare scenario, but uh, we we dealt with it, and you learn how to deal with it, and you move on. I mean, it's one of those things you're going to get hit in the face a lot as an entrepreneur, and uh, you know you have to figure out how to get through them. You know, you can't. You sometimes you can't. Uh, you can't control what happens to you. You can really only control how you react to it, and how you get through it, and uh, so so yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's very important for for startups and entrepreneurs to understand it's it's not the problem itself but how you react to it yeah. that kind of defines who we are and um yeah, that could hurt your brand equity but I think being ethical about the situation and and even though no one's telling you to remove this product, you're like I feel the need that we should take this yeah. off the shelf just in case cuz we yeah. don't want to put anyone yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, no one has to, you know. At the end of the day, I'm the I'm I'm the one's got to sleep on it, you know. I'm the one that has to live with exactly. it, and so you know, you have to you have to make a lot of those decisions as an entrepreneur in this business, knowing that you have to go to bed at night and sleep with the decisions that you've made, and and so we decided to do what we thought was the right thing and and take the necessary steps. So yeah, so um, kind of switching gears again, talking instead of talking about recalls we can talk about something <laughs> something a little bit more uh, um enlightening I, I do follow kelly on instagram and saw that you guys were in europe recently for an entire month yeah right so yeah. how t t talk to me a little bit about work and adventure balance so i can <laughs> learn a couple tips from you guys yeah yeah no we very much have a uh, work hard play hard philosophy i guess um you know, we've set up our business in a way that that we can take needed time off if we need to. Um, but at the same time, there's there's long periods of time where we we spend a lot of work in the business. And you know, this month's been one of them. I mean, I haven't haven't gotten much sleep leading up to this. Um, you know, so so if I, I I sound like I'm going off on a on a tangent there, that's that's the reason why. Uh, but yeah, there's going to be times when you when you can take that time off and times that you can't. Um, and that's. That's kind of the, the 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 beauty of the business and how we've built it. But you know, it's we have really good people in place um, that will handle the business while we're gone. And uh, I, I wrote an article on this not too long ago that that being able to take vacations for us has helped us really grow the business because it really helps you mature. 
things in your business that that may not have been mature otherwise. Um, it helped. It, you have to really trust in your people. You have to hire the right people first of all um, that, that you can trust to do a good job when you're not there, and then you have to put trust in those people to do a good job, and you have those to give those people the autonomy to make the right decisions. And all of that really helps grow and mature your business because at some point that's going to happen anyway. So I think you know doing something like taking a, an extended vacation or taking a month off really kind of prompts you to do that sooner than you might have otherwise. Uh, it really prompted us to automate a lot of things in our business that wouldn't have been automated otherwise. You know when you you take a step back going, okay, if I'm going to be gone for a month, how are X, Y, and Z going to get done? Okay, well, I have to put systems in place to make sure that those things either get done without me or to make sure that those things can easily be done by someone, you know, there in my business. So it's putting processes and systems in place uh, to be able to allow you to be gone that can easily be done. And uh, so it, there, there's a lot of ways in which it's helped us mature our business, being able to take time off like that. And I encourage any any entrepreneur to uh, to to do that because again it really helps mature mature your business. Yeah, and I I imagine also the the mental break you get the like f- letting your brain catch a breath. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and and, and the reality is you can't completely one hundred percent disconnect from the business. That's just the reality, and that's the reality of it. You know, and you just have to accept that. And I think that that. That 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 mindset really helps a lot as well. Knowing that, like, look, you run a business. There's going to be things that you have to take care of when you're gone. Uh, I think that that, and just knowing that that's just that's just the way it is, and having that mindset. Again, when you when you enjoy it and you're really building something that you're proud about, it's not really work. Uh, in, in that sense. And so I think that that's when, when you hear a lot of people say, oh, well, you, you, you work on vacation or you can't really be gone hundred percent. That must, that must really be terrible. Well, no, not really, because, you know, I'm doing something that we really are passionate about and we really like to do yeah. and, and we're building a business and, and it's not really work in the sense that, that a lot of people you know, think of, of as work. And yeah. so it's, it's different. I, I think that's a key characteristic in entrepreneurs. It's, I, I love noticing it in people's like, it's. I wouldn't say it's an addiction, but it's this constant connection to building something. If it's within your business or outside of your business, you're always thinking of like creating, right? You're always, or, or I don't want to say fixing, but you're always thinking of connecting something or creating something or moving something up. And that kind of defines um, entrepreneurs. E- even if you're on vacation and you're thinking yeah. of granola or thinking of a better way, it's like, I, I am taking a break, but this is just how my brain works because yeah. I'm doing something I love. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I have two more questions for you. Uh, yeah. First, uh, what what inspires you on a daily basis to continue doing this Um to just create such an awesome product? What, what's the inspiration behind that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really, you know, the ultimate inspiration is really just providing, uh, you know, and Shabani puts this in a really, really good way when they talk about their products as well as providing better food for more people, you know, and, 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 and providing better nutrition for more people um, and helping change people's lives in that sense. I mean, really that's, that's as an entrepreneur, that's, I think that's the ultimate, goal of every ultimate goal of every, every, every entrepreneur and, and what they're building is to make people's lives easier and better um, and bettering people's lives and knowing at the end of the day, you're helping better people's lives by doing what you're doing. I think that's the ultimate motiv- motivation um, and really just building something that, that you're really proud about and, and leaving the world a better place than what it was when, when you started beforehand. I think those are the, the kind of the ultimate motivations and will really drive us to, to keep putting out better products. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, and then, how um I, I like asking this to everybody, but how do you manage what you want to do, what you should do, and what you have to do on a daily basis? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of parts of this business that that might not be the most enjoyable or most glamorous that you have to do them anyway. I mean, that's just that's just part of it. You know, those aren't things that you're going to see on Instagram or you're going to see on a blog or you're going to see, um, you know, in, in the news at all. Um, there's, there's a lot of unglorious parts of this business that just have to get done. And that's and that's just part of it. Um, you know, I liken it to, um, you know, an example would be, you know, you watch the Olympics once every four years, you're seeing the most glamorous parts of those people's job, right? You don't see the four years of just absolute grind that all those people put in hours and hours every day to get to that, you know, 60 second shining moment where they're, where they're actually in like on the big stage on the race. And so there's a lot of, of, of work behind the scenes and grind work that, that, that's just part of it that has to be done. And that's, and that's, you know, so you take the good with the bad, um, and, and that stuff's got to get done. But at the end of the day, also, you know, know what things you truly don't enjoy doing that are causing you pain and stress and, and, and look for ways to hire those things out and get somebody else to take care of those things. So you can spend the time doing things that you like to do and enjoy to do because you'll, you'll never grow the business the way you want to grow it or be happy working the business, working in the business, doing things constantly that you don't enjoy doing. Um, so there's been a lot of things that we've hired off or outsourced over the years that we just haven't enjoyed doing uh, to be able to, to do more of the things where our strengths are at and do more of the things that we enjoy doing. So it's, it's a combination of there's just going to be some things that you just have to do and that's and, and that's part of it. Um, but there's other things, plenty of things that you can hire out um, and hire other people to do that yeah. will free up your time to do more of the things that you truly enjoy to do and want to do uh, for your business. So Yeah, a game of balancing and managing mm-hmm. that balance. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's delegated. And, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, Kyle, I want to thank you once again for coming on to the show. Um, I think you there's a lot of good stuff here and I think people can and learn about how you guys built your, your granola empire. Um, are there any last words or piece of pieces of advice you'd like to share with any startups or food entrepreneurs? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the two probably biggest pieces of advice I think tell a lot of small food entrepreneurs is, is one. And I've, I've heard it said by a number of different people. And I like to say it a lot is, is you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable in this business. You know, there's, there's complacency is what kills a lot of companies. Um, and so I think you have to, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's how you know that you're growing and you're evolving and you're getting better. Um, so a lot of people see that discomfort and, and you want to shrink away from it or shy away from it. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's, that's a sign that you're, that you're growing and, and you're getting better. And so you have to be comfortable constantly being uncomfortable because there's going to be all kinds of scenarios that, that make you uncomfortable in this business. And you have to be, you just have to be comfortable dealing with them. That's just part of it. Um, that's just part of it. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. There's no, there's really no status quo. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. And then, and then the other, the other piece of advice that I, I like to give people especially small entrepreneurs that you have to be willing to do a lot of the work yourself at the beginning. Um, we see a lot of people getting caught up, whether it be you know, on the manufacturing side, hey, I can't find a co-manufacturer. I can't find this supplier. I can't find that supplier. I can't find someone to make it. I can't find someone to manage my e-commerce or to build my website or I can't find an Amazon consultant or you know all these plethora of things. And my response always is you just, at the end of the day, you have to learn how to do them yourself. You know, if, if, if your funds are incredibly limited, your resources are incredibly limited as a small company, the, the best thing that you can do is to learn to do those things yourself um, and put in the work to learn to do, do them yourself. I see a lot of people getting hung up simply because they are refusing to to put in the work. Um, and, 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 you know, it's going to be tough. There's going to be some long days. There's going to be some long nights. But if you're truly passionate at what you're doing and what you're building, then then at the end of the day, you're going to enjoy it. Um, you're going to be glad that you did. And, and so, yeah, those are my two pieces of advice, I think. Well, again, yeah, thank you for sharing the advice. And... Hopefully, people will listen to those words of wisdom. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
Thank you once again, Kyle, for joining us on this week's podcast. We had a lot of fun learning more about how you got this started, and I think you gave some great advice for food entrepreneurs and startups within the Texas community. And if you guys want to find Wild Wade products in your local stores, you can check out our show notes where there will be a link to find those products. The Packing Taste podcast team includes your host, me, Axel Brave, producer, Mariah Gossett, audio engineer, Jake Wallace. We want to give a special thanks to Founding Austin, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.